This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update. Today, we're talking with Dr. Aletha Maybank, AMA's Chief Health Equity Officer in New York, who will give us an update on equity issues and the pandemic. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Uh, Dr. Maybank, uh, lots of big news since we uh, spoke to you last, uh, starting with a new president, a new administration that has a renewed focus on equity. Can you tell us what we've seen so far from the Biden administration and share your hopes for what's to come? Yes, uh, thanks, Todd, and good to be on with you. I know we haven't talked on this in this venue uh, since the new year, um, but really glad to be on the, the show today. So yes, a lot has happened. I mean, I think the, the administration has been very clear that equity is absolutely a priority, um, and even listing and saying racial equity as a priority as well, and that this is going to go through and across all of government and all of the federal government. And that's, you know, from us who've been doing this work for years, it's like music to our ears to hear that there is potentially a really strong commitment to ensuring that the policies and the programs that are put forward by the federal government are all gonna have an equity lens moving forward, or they're gonna build to that space of having an equity lens. And so we saw, you know, on February 10th, there was an announcement um, of the members who were going to be in the, the COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force, who is led by, which is led by Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, who is, is wonderful and a wonderful colleague. Um, and it was one of the first orders, you know, executive orders that he put forward. The purpose of the task force, and I think uh, hopefully it's obvious to many, um, is to really provide recommendations on the inequities that we know are existing even before, but really as a context, but what's happening right now during the pandemic and, and all the things that we need to do to make sure that there's an equitable rollout. What I have really valued, honestly, about looking at this task force, I think the federal government did, uh, the administration did a wonderful job at picking the folks for this um, task force. When you look at it, it is truly clear that they centered voices and voices who are representing communities of those most marginalized. And that's a key step to doing equity work. We have to do that. And so you'll see, you know, there's the president of Meharia Historically Black Medical College, representatives of disability rights. There was a high school senior on, on the task force, um, folks who are representing people who are incarcerated and other and domestic workers alliance. And all these folks are really reputable in those spaces. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, what the recommendations will be um, moving forward and the guidance. And then clearly we here at the AMA and the Center for Health Equity are always available, you know, to support, you know, in any way. And we'll continue to do the work that we're doing um, to advocate for greater equity for not only the healthcare system, our physician community, but patients and, and people at large. Well, they have the, they have their work cut out for them because you know we've seen such a broad range of disparities throughout this pandemic, and one that we're seeing again, kind of repeating this pattern, is around vaccines. So, can uh, you talk a little bit about you know what you're seeing uh, around inequities in the vaccine rollout, which you know has been rocky uh, and yeah. a lot of room for improvement here? Absolutely, I, I you know this is it's an 
ongoing, um, it's kind of the problem presents itself, right? And we're always trying to struggle with what the solution is. And, you know, it, and it's, it's our data tells us there's a problem. And again, what's the solution? And, and I feel this is where the equity experts are really important and to really, really value, you know, what they're saying. You know, I think about Dr. Kamara Jones, and she's just excellent at frameworks for, for how do we really achieve equity during these times? And it's it's not just a moral compass, but it's a practical opportunity for us. And that, you know, first we have to value all individuals and populations equally. And, and folks will say, yes, I do that. But the reality is, is we don't because our data tells us that we're not doing that. And if we're not centering voices in the way that um, I just mentioned that the health equity task forces, then we're not taking those pragmatic steps that help us do that. We, In order to really value all voices and people equally, they have to be at the table. We have to listen and understand what their experiences are. That's one thing. The second thing is um, rec- recognizing and rectifying all the historical injustices. And so we, you know, we had a great piece come out by our CEO yesterday, you know, about, you know, the history of AMA and then we have to recognize that and rectify that. But it's the same thing in the context of how people experience injustice, all the conversations around mistrust and, um, and, and being, you know, building trust, you know, one fully aren't really usually framed, right? You know, the reality is, is that people feel that way because of those historical injustices and it impacts how we are able to do the work that we want to do in terms of achieving equity and making sure everyone has access to vaccines. So we have to pay attention to that. And as institutions, we have to question, how do we become more trustworthy? How do we look at our our systems of, of racism and exclusion and discrimination that don't allow people to trust us? That's the second thing. And then the third thing is about providing resources to those who are according to need and treating people equitably, right? It's not just equally where you're providing people the same. We have to value people equally but we need to treat people equitably based on the history. And so if people have been disinvested, they haven't received resources, then they need more. And that's not, we're not doing that. We're not really providing resources according to need. We're trying to, I'm not saying the country's not, not making efforts, but it's not making deep enough efforts to really reach black and brown people. What can I ask you just to kind of, uh, Talk a little bit more. You, you made that that differentiation between treating people equally and treating people equ- equitably in regard now to specifically around the vaccine. What's what does it look like? What's that change look like? Right, and I, and I just correction valuing people. So this is the the valuing people equally. So you and I are equal. Like I, we, I come to the table and I say Todd is equal to to Aletha, right? But for some reason maybe, and this is the reality, you know, I don't have as much wealth as you do, or I don't have a home, right? That means we have to be treated differently based on that, right? We, we value, the value is there as people, but we need to treat people differently. So I need more. I need a house. I need money, you know? And, and that way we get to the point of being more equal per se. So that's what we're not seeing. So as an example, you know, and I, I'll bring up kind of how the strategies are happening. So there's lots of, you know, focus on building, kind of creating these mass vaccination sites, which, and I started volunteering in New York City at one on this past Saturday, and I got my first uh, Moderna at that. Um, and the mass sites are, are great, right? They're great for speed. They're great for getting a lot of people vaccinated at all at the same time. But think about, you know, if you live in an area, even in New York City, I, I have to say, if you don't have transportation 
And those vaccination sites are like one per borough. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you get there? My mother, as another example, just to bring up story, because I think it's helpful, lives in New Jersey. um, And her vaccination site was at a community college. And it's totally, the assumption is completely that she has a car because it's a drive through. It's like in a long, big area and it's, you drive through and you get to the space. But if you don't have a car, what do you do? You know, how do you get the vaccines? How do you reach? How do you even know, let alone if you have a car, how do you know somebody's healthy enough to even leave their space in order to get it? Another, um, you know, gap that we're seeing that's starting to elevate in the news are like gaps around pharmacies and where they're located. And I saw a great map of a particular large scale pharmacy and some data in Chicago that showed where their pharmacies are located. And it's all around the perimeter of the west side of United, west side of Chicago, not in the heart of west side of Chicago. So that you know presents itself as a barrier. So that means we have to have more intention. We have to look at the data like that, and we have to have more intention and strategies to go deeper and to say how are we going to really connect and get vaccines within the communities that really need them most that we know are actually excluded. That's the word we have to use is that these communities are excluded. You know, it's it's frustrating because it's not like we didn't know about these problems before COVID. They've been exacerbated by them and we've seen the statistics around mortality going into this. And now we're just repeating those same, you know, issues in the vaccination rollout. It, you know, I wonder, you know, why are these issues not anticipated because of the planning that it takes to really do what you're talking about? And I think it's a great question, to, uh, you know, and I think that's the question of why, why, you know, does racism still exist? You know, <laughs> you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we have to have the will, the urgency. Um, of now to say that, and, and that's all of us, you know, and leadership, um, leadership that's not used to talking about equity and justice um, have to kind of show up in a different way uh, and really, again, value people equally. The reality is, is like, you know, we don't, you only understand for the most part what it is you see, right? And what it is that you experience. And as leaders of institutions, if you only have like a small window or a window of what you see, it's really hard to fully understand what communities who have been made most vulnerable are experiencing. And in order to kind of get that context better, again, I go back to the critical nature of centering voices. We don't see the world as it is often, but we see it as we experience it. Experience it. And so not having those voices at the table, we're missing out on potential solutions and opportunities um, to make sure that we are delivering care and for this particular situation, delivering vaccines in a more equitable way. And I feel if folks are not doing that, centering those voices, ideas and experiences at minimum, they're not, and we're not collecting data at minimum, we are not, it's all lip service, really. A commitment to equity is like, is, is a, you have to make that commitment to equity to say we're going to do those three things that I mentioned at the top of the show. What, uh, so given where we are right now and, you know, uh, the urgency of the situation and the statistics that we have before us, you know, what needs to be done? Well, I think, you know, hopefully with the new administration, what's going to be helpful is that we're going to have some level of coordination 
Um, I think that that is going to be tremendous. You know, coming from the public health perspective, that has been really difficult. You can't, it's really hard to achieve equity when you don't have some level of kind of um, targeted uh, approaches and strategies that are going to be somewhat universal in some ways, but also targeted universalism kind of in the neighborhoods that we know are hit the hardest. And so with this national coordination, I think we're going to achieve that a lot more more easily. I also think, again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the, the having the, the health equity task force and having some recommendations from there, and I'm sure they're providing guidance out along to the uh, federal level um, on, on what to do and the critical nature of that. The conversations that have been happening and that I've seen lately, and, and these are really have come a lot from communities of color. I think there have been a lot of ground up uh, responses that have been amazing from uh, physicians uh, of color and providers of color um, and other leaders of color. I think about Dala, um, Dr. Alice Stanford, who's in Philadelphia, who organized um, a COVID um, Black collaborative. And since the beginning of COVID, they first, you know, they, they got a van together and they went around and started to do testing and now they're doing vaccination rollout. But it's those opportunities that I think we need to identify and those strategies that are happening um, kind of organically, per se, um, across the country. And then we need to fund those strategies and figure out how to scale them. Because those are coming from, from my perspective, directly from the communities, directly from um, of the people who are experiencing it. And so they're putting forward ideas, putting together and bringing together people from different walks of lives and professions to achieve the goals we're looking to achieve that oftentimes it's really hard to do when you're at this other kind of level of government, very distant and not proximate to what the problem is. Medicine doesn't stand still. And at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. And so I think we need to really kind of call to those who are proximate, look at what they're doing, fund what they're doing, and, and be able to replicate that. You know, a lot of times when uh, when we talk, you know, something that sticks out of my mind is you say we have to meet people where they are. And in this case, like we literally need to meet, need to be people where they are with urgency. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned something in, in the discussion, too, around around data. And I recall from early discussions with you, you know, back at the beginning of this, where we just didn't have data about who was getting COVID. Now, you know, now we know the disparities were were evident early in this process and have really come to pass. There are issues around vaccination, too. Uh, is that a place that you're focused in terms of getting the data for that? Yeah. So, you know, there's the same way you're right, you know, Todd, and early on, you know, there was a lot of focus on just data around cases and hospitalizations and, and deaths. Um, and now, and it's it's not surprising, right? As you mentioned, you know, it's, it's the same systems and structures were basically in place as they were, um, you know, about a year ago. Uh, and so we're we're challenged again to have data missing, and a lot of data missing as it relates to vaccinations. Almost, you know, half, like forty-seven percent of missing data across the country. Um, and in talking with other folks, you know, at Kaiser Family Foundation, who's doing some great work around their, you know, trying to collect this data of vaccines, you know, there are just many, there are so many barriers as it relates to collecting data. There are structural barriers, there are, you know, policy barriers, 
there are institutional barriers, and then there are barriers about what people know and what they don't know and understand about the importance of collecting race and ethnicity data. The, the importance of how collecting race and ethnicity data is actually an equity strategy. And it, you're really not fully committed to equity as a strategy if you're not collecting that data. And so we have started to, um, at the American Medical Association, and we're going to make efforts to work in partnership with people on this, but to really um, kind of draw some attention to the importance of collecting data. There's a lot we can't change at this moment in terms of some of the systems and structures. We can advocate for it, and we'll use our advocacy arm to do that. However, we can provide some education to healthcare workers and providers and physicians of just the importance of it. Some folks don't feel comfortable asking those questions. Um, and so there are some guides and some tools out there that we were going, we're going to soon um, provide to the community and, and the physician community um, on, on how to get more comfortable and how they should ask the questions around race and ethnicity, just to help encourage, to help encourage um, healthcare workers, not only just physicians, but also in the pharmacies and all the different places that they're going to be um, collecting data. And then we also know that patients are uncomfortable with collect uh, of providing that data for many legitimate reasons, as I mentioned before, in terms of the lack of trustworthiness of institutions based on all the kind of isms and, and, and the power systems that have kind of excluded people, discriminated people and, and, and oppressed people, that people have fear in sharing those data. You know, immigration data, you know, that that's fearful for some people to, to show up and share. So we are, I think our role is knowing that there's a power dynamic with us as healthcare institutions and provider is that it's our role to kind of help with that comfort um, for our patients around the importance of collecting race and ethnicity data. A lot of those issues just, you know, need to be anticipated uh, and worked into the, that particular structure. Um, you know, one of the things that we're seeing right now is uh, it's certainly about an issue around supply. Uh, and hopefully we're going to see supplies increase. And as that happens, do you see a role for employers uh, to play in vaccine distribution and ensuring equity in that process? Absolutely. You know, and, you know, I also, I'm going to get to employers too, but I also want to mention, I know this is something that we're really advocating for at, at AMA, which makes sense, is that the physician practices need to have, and they are employers too, I guess, but they also need to have access to the vaccines. There's a huge gap in physician practices getting access to vaccines across the country. And that's an important from an equity perspective. And, and it's just important in general because we know that physician and the healthcare um, provider is like one of the most trusted entities in a person's life, even, even in light of all the historical injustice. It's a very, the physician is a trusted entity. So they need the vaccines in order to, to give them and to be able to talk to their patients, but that's where a patient is more likely to go to. It may be harder to get to the mass vaccination site or the pharmacy that's not in their neighborhood, but they oftentimes have a relationship with their physician or a healthcare provider. So I just wanted to really elevate that because it is an equity strategy to make sure that the physician practices have the vaccine. In terms of employers at large, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, the initial supply was, was very short, but employers have this opportunity to educate, I think is going to be really critical, um, but also to be able to provide the space to also potentially give vaccines if they have access to them as well. You know, we, we um, sorry, myself and Dr. Esther Chu, along with Chelsea Clinton, published a paper in um, USA Today about two weeks ago 
about all the things that employers can do um, in order to create um, a space of which really is supportive of getting the vaccines. And it's everything from education and setting up this on-site vaccination, like I mentioned, but also encouraging, you know, paid time off for when folks do get the vaccine. I had my my first shot of Moderna on Saturday, and I was I was tired the next two days. I was I was surprised by that. I didn't think that that was going to happen. I've heard you know with the second the second dose, but I was I was tired, you know. And um, some folks are completely you know fatigued, fever, all of those things can happen, and they have children at home, so they need space and time to be able to go get the vaccine. So that's that's really important, you know. And then there's going to be the conversation that comes up as it relates to mandates or not, and you know. These are all, they're going to all have to be considered. Um, and right now, I think most employers are absolutely more so encouraging, you know, folks to get the vaccine than they are mandating. But there will be concerns that really um, go across the board as it relates to, the, you know, human resources and policy risk, privacy, discrimination, just other employee relations issues. So there's going to have to be a lot of coordination between employers and a lot of communication to make sure that, you know, everyone is comfortable with what the situation is um, in the the employment space. Uh, And I think, you know, there are, you know, a lot of ways that employers can play an active role in advancing equity through vaccination on on many fronts uh, as well. Well, Dr. Maybank, uh, it is always fascinating to hear your perspective and thank you uh, for the leadership that you and your team are showing on this important topic. That's it for today's COVID-19 update. We'll be back with another segment shortly. In the meantime, for resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thank you for watching and please take care. This content was originally published as part of the AMA's COVID-19 daily video updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.